Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Worry. I mean, one day it might happen here in our own city. Who knows? My thing is, that's not going to change how I act. It's not going to change how I preach. And it's not going to change how I live. I live for Jesus, and I'll die for Jesus. And so, if we can, can we pray and lift up uh, those two churches in Egypt? Would you join with me right now? Father, I thank you for this a powerful thing called prayer. And Lord, though we are miles and miles away from Egypt and, and our two churches there, God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would bring comfort, Lord, to those who are injured, to, Lord, families who've lost loved ones, for those who've even uh, visually seen what has taken place. Father, I speak your peace and your love to those situations, to those families, to those broken and hurting people in your church. God, I pray that you would also remind them that you are still sovereign, Lord, that you are still in control and that you still reign over all things. And so, God, though our heart breaks today, Lord, I I know that you are able to still accomplish everything that you will on the earth. And God, um, one day it might happen here in our own city. And Lord, I pray that come hell or high water, your church would remain true to your calling for us to be the light of the world in in the face of fear and in the face of adversity. We thank you that nothing shall come against your church because it's yours, God, and it's your responsibility and you will protect her. And so, God, we give you this opportunity or we take this opportunity to pray, Lord, for these two churches, for everything and everyone that has been affected, Lord. And we ask, Lord, now for your supernatural peace, which transcends all understanding, to guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray these things. Amen. 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 You might say, hey, time is fleeting. Uh, Like, let's get going with the sermon. I want you to know, we pray every Sunday morning in, in the side room for God's will to be done. When we meet here, we say, God, let your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And, and I don't just want to say that with my mouth as lip service to God because it's a good Christian thing to say. And this morning I said, God, I really mean what we're saying. So I have a message to preach and I'm prepared. And I know it's 1130. Uh, but that time at the altar for me, that's the key to unlocking. Now we're ready to receive the word. Why? Because the word is like seed and it has to go on fertile ground. It has to be able to be absorbed into the soil so that it can bring life, so that roots can go down and, and you will grow in the way of the Lord. And so today, with God's help, uh, it is one, one week before Easter. Um, it is designated as Palm Sunday and we've said that already. But referring to, Palm Sunday is referring to when Jesus was entering Jerusalem. He was riding on the colt or the donkey. And in John 12, 13, it says that they took palm branches. And those palm branches, when they were waving them, is actually a symbol of triumph and victory. 
And then they proceeded to say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's interesting about that word Hosanna, it means praise God, but it's also adapted from the Hebrew expression that means save now. Save now. And so it's interesting to note that this scene where people are waving their palm branches, which we said signifies triumph and victory, and they're shouting Hosanna, a.k.a. save now, foreshadows the very reason Jesus was actually going into Jerusalem. Why? He was going to Jerusalem. He was going to die on the cross. And we're going to hear about that more next week. But to triumph over sin, death, hell, and the grave... And to be the Savior of the world. So Palm Sunday has significance. Jesus, we call it the triumphal entry. And he was making his way back into Jerusalem. Um, Next week, we're going to meet Good Friday, 10.30 a.m. communion service. Sunday morning, we're inviting the community. I want you to know that. And be praying this week. Um, Last night, I started a Facebook ad campaign reaching... The potential is to reach up to 16,000 people within a five-mile radius of this point on the map, right here, our church. So within five-mile radius, we have the potential to reach 16,000 people on Facebook, inviting them, a similar video to what I did there, um, to come next Sunday to church. Imagine if 5,000 people show up. We'll have mega problems. But I... Hey, we'll figure it out. We'll leave the doors open, add some speakers in the lower parking lot. The weather's supposed to be nice anyway. Uh, And so this Palm Sunday, I'm I'm not actually speaking about Jesus' triumphal entry. I want to reverse a little bit in your Bible to John chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, don't stand yet because we'll get to the main text and I'll ask you to stand for that. But John chapter 11, if you can turn there. And I want to just shed some light first before we read. Jesus had already gone to the tomb where Lazarus was dead. That's Mary and Martha's brother. And he called him out of the grave. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And, and he got up. He walked out of the tomb. And as a result of that, Scripture tells us that many began to believe in Jesus. As a result of that. And so we have John chapter 11. We're going to start reading at verse 53. But there was crazy tension going on in Jerusalem. And we're going to discover why. Verse 53 So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim and stayed there with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. Nothing out of the ordinary, nothing different, nothing strange. But look at verse 56. They kept looking for Jesus... But as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, What do you think? He won't come for Passover, will he? 
Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. So they could arrest him. There was crazy tension in Jerusalem. So much so that people were wondering, no, Jesus won't show up. No, because they're upset. The leaders were upset. Why? Well, because their authority was being threatened. Their position as, as Jewish leaders was being threatened. Why? Well, because people by the thousands were turning away to follow Jesus. So they were afraid that they were going to lose their place as leaders. Why? Well, because people weren't following them anymore. They were following this man, Jesus. So now they're in Jerusalem saying, no, he's not going to show up. Will, no, he won't do that, will he? Well, we know that the triumphal entry is what? Jesus showing up, entering where? Jerusalem. So he does show up. So I'm going to speak this morning in between these two passages where people are wondering, he's not going to show up, is he? They put a bounty on his head. They said, anyone who sees him, you let us know, we're going to arrest him. And then the triumphal entry. So we're right in between there. And what happens is, as he's making his way towards Jerusalem, he stops in Bethany. And in Bethany, we find the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And just before we read chapter 12 of John, I just want to say this. In Luke chapter 7, there's a similar account, but it's, it's different. And I'll share in a, in a little while why I believe they are different. And uh, if you have your Bible, stand with me. Let's read John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We'll begin reading at verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, so let's do this. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Mary, then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold, and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Shame on you, Judas. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray every heart be open to hear what you are saying to us. God, I, I ask you to anoint my mind, my lips, and my heart as I speak your word. May it not be my thoughts or my opinion, but solely what you would want for us to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
The title of my message today is Wasting Your Life on Jesus. Wasting Your Life on Jesus. It's an interesting title, I know. But after reading the story, it's going to all come together in our, in our minds. But I don't just want it to stay here today. I want to make sure that your heart gets what God was trying to say and, and this whole story um, in looking at Mary. So I said I would explain how it's different than the account in Luke 7. We see Mary in Luke chapter 10 as well. Mary and Martha, very specific. The, their brother is Lazarus. In Luke chapter 10, Mary is shown to be deeply devoted to Jesus. She's sitting at, uh, at Jesus' feet while her sister Martha is distracted by all the preparations to serve the meal. That's Luke chapter 10. Mary is portrayed as being a deeply devoted follower of Christ. In, in John 12, the text we just read, we see that it's no different. She has a deep love for her Savior and, and she's willing to do something very extravagant, which we're about to look at. In Luke 7, without that knowledge, and just reading the name, you might confuse the two. I want to submit, there's another account in Luke 7 of a woman who's anointing Jesus and with her tears, and then she's also drying it with her hair at the feet of Jesus. But the difference is, in Luke 7, it actually is describing this woman as a sinful woman. Now, meaning a prostitute. In, in our context of Mary, Martha's sister, we don't see her in, as that kind of a person. So we say that Jesus, these were two separate accounts where a woman anointed Jesus' feet and then used her hair to dry, dry it up. Just some food for thought. If you want to read Luke 7, and then you could contrast it to our text, John chapter 12 today. So wasting your life on Jesus. Uh, besides Jesus in this text, uh, we have two other main characters, Mary and Judas. Mary and Judas. And I want to say most of this morning's message under this thought, you will not waste your life if you spend it in selfless devotion to Jesus. You will not waste your life if you spend it in selfless devotion to Jesus. And so under that, I want to share four different things. The first one being selfless devotion is costly. Selfless devotion is costly. And it's interesting in our text, it just says that she brought a 12-ounce jar, but it's Judas who quickly is able to, with his eye, estimate the value of what she's bringing. And he's like, it's about 300 denarii, which is equivalent to about a year's wages. So think of what you earn in a year, and then think of buying a jar that costs that much with expensive perfume, and then just pouring it out. A year, like thousands of dollars. And so Judas, we're going to get to him a little later, but in, in an instant, he's able to eyeball what she's doing. and say, That's about a year's wages. Interesting, because he had itchy hands and fingers as well. So selfless devotion is costly. It's about a year's wages. It's also probable that the anointment was a liquid perfume. And that word anoint in the Greek is aleifo. 
And it, this is what it means. Applying oil or something similar onto someone, usually to mark dedication of the person to a purpose or as an act of devotion. And in this case, I believe Mary as an act of devotion, right? We said she had a deep affection and love for Jesus as, uh, as, as her Lord and Savior. And so here he is doing this, she's doing this. But then also, additionally, it is a welcoming act of hospitality for a guest. And if you read the other account in Luke 7, you see that uh, there's another character, Simon. And I don't want to confuse the two stories. But Luke 7, not our text, Jesus makes a comment to say, I'm your guest, Simon the Pharisee. She, she anointed my feet with her tears, yet you didn't even anoint me when I showed up as a welcoming to a guest. It was something that you would do in a sense of hospitality for someone. And so in this case, it could be hospitality because it, the Bible tells us that Jesus went to their house. So it could be that she's being hospitable, but also out of deep devotion for Jesus, that she is doing this, uh, pouring this crazy offering out. So typically you would anoint the head, but here we see the anointing of Jesus' feet. And what I want to draw from that is her posture. Mary's posture is, is interesting because both in Luke 10, the first time when we see that Jesus is at her house, she was kneeling at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word intently that he would speak. Martha got upset. But then also here, notice her posture. Yes, it's an outward posture where she's kneeling at his feet. But I believe it's also an outward sign of the inward posture of her heart. She, she had a deep reverence for Jesus. And here she is pouring this uh, fragrant, extravagant offering. And I want to say this, never strive to reach higher than the feet of Jesus. We should never strive to reach higher than the feet of Jesus. Why? It's a place of humility. There's no pride in that posture. But it's a place of humility. I remember growing up, I used to play piano as I was learning. But one of them was like, Down at your feet, O Lord, is the most high place. Right? It, in the natural, it doesn't make sense. Because it's a low place. But the Bible says that he who lifts himself up, God will humble. But he who humbles himself, God will lift up or exalt. And so it's important to understand the highest. If Yes, have high expectations. Have a standard of excellence for your family, for your ministry. Absolutely. But when it comes to the posture of your heart, your attitude, let's never strive to reach higher than the feet of Jesus. Because God, God will exalt you. That's not your job. When you humble yourself under His mighty hand, James says, He will lift you up in due time. Amen. And so Mary is pouring out this expensive gift. And it cost her a lot of money. And, and I want to echo it to something King David did. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, this is what it says. Then the king said to Aruna. No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. 
nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David, this is King David, bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. See, David wanted to buy this guy's threshing floor so he can build an altar to the Lord to worship God there. And because David's the king, and maybe because of his rank, and you know, oh, you're the king. Don't, no, it's okay. Don't buy it. I give it to you. I'll just, just take the threshing floor. I even have some oxen that you can use for the, the sacrifice. And David's response was, no. I cannot offer the Lord that which cost me nothing. So David, in a sense, said, I could take it. I'm the king. I, I could easily accept your gift. But in this specific area of my life, worship, no. I'm going to give to God that which comes with a price. And so I'm here to to remind us, church, that worship comes at a price oftentimes. And I I want to submit this to you, that our best worship comes with a high price. Our best worship comes with a high price. I remember last summer when we made an appeal to the church for the roof. And uh, we called it a Miracle Offering Sunday. And we took in, the number was more than $30,000. This is what we're asking above and beyond our regular giving. And we got the roof, we did it, we paid it off. Job well done, and we celebrated as a result. What, What did we do? We honored God's house. I don't live here, I don't have a bed in a side room where I sleep here. Um, this is where we come. This is God's house. And we, we honored God with, an, uh, I guess, ourselves as well. So we don't have to have a leaky roof. But we, ha- we got a brand new roof. We paid it. We, it. It came with a high price. Priscilla and I remember talking about, what are we going to give? Why? Because we're not exempt. David was the king, but he said, I'm not going to give something that doesn't cost me. And so know that your best worship will come at a high cost. Why? Because you're saying, God, you matter above everything else. I honor you, even in this area. And you could be finances, but it could be anything else as well. It could be your devotion, your time that you give to the Lord as well. But I think God, finances is a part of that. And David clearly showed us. Mary, in her example, clearly shows us as well. And so it It's an expensive thing. And we're saying, number one, selfish devotion is costly. It cost her a lot of money. But you know what it also cost her? Her reputation. It cost her her reputation. Why? Well, it would have been against Jewish convention, the norm, for a woman to appear in the presence of men with her hair untied. And what is she doing? She's at the feet of Jesus, and she's wiping His feet with her hair. So this is coming at not just a cost of a year's wages, but it's coming at a cost of her reputation. She should not be there. She should not be doing that. But it also cost Mary what? Her pride. It also cost Mary her pride. See, not only is she at the feet of Jesus with her hair untied, but she now is also being ridiculed by Judas on the spot, saying, what is she doing? What do you think you're doing, ma'am? We could use that to feed the poor. Like, what a waste. What a waste. And in a sense, I mean, that, that's enough to crush anyone. And so, not that she was prideful, but it cost her her pride. She, she was humble about it. She didn't care. 
So the cost of pride means you're, you're humble. There's humility present. And so number one, selfless devotion is costly. Number two, selfless devotion stems from love and gratitude. I've talked a bit about Luke 10 where Jesus shows up to her house. Um, you know, she's at the feet of Jesus. I think Mary had a lot to be grateful for. Um, and thankful for, well, for one, Jesus raised her brother from the dead. Jesus raised her brother from the dead. I don't know about you. If I saw that and that happened in my family, I would be forever grateful. I would be forever like, yes, anything, anything for you, Jesus. And I want you to know, that's who Jesus is. He still speaks to dead things to come alive again. He still does that. Do you believe that, church? Amen. Next week, what are we celebrating? Resurrection. Resurrection. What, what does that mean? Once I was dead, but now I'm raised to new life in Christ. Amen. The old man is dead and gone, but now I stand as a new creation. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of me. I have so much to be thankful for. And Mary understood that selfless devotion flows uh, simply from love and gratitude. Number three, selfless devotion flows from knowing Jesus personally. Knowing Jesus personally. See, you need an encounter with Jesus. You need an encounter with Jesus. Uh, I'm a drummer first before a piano player and, and all the other instruments that I learned. And here's the reality. I would learn all the drum parts. I would listen to music over and over and over, like the same song, the same album, until I knew everything, every nuance, everything that the drummer would do, and I, I could visualize it, and I would actually play along. Like, remember the old boom boxes with a tape player? I would put it right near my head and just press play and then just jam and rock out to all those songs. But you know what's interesting? I've actually had the privilege in the last few years of meeting some of these drummers that influenced me so, so highly, so heavily. And I had the privilege of asking, hey, tell me, like, what is it about music? Like, what's your take on this? And what are your thoughts on electronics and music? Because tech is a big thing and it plays a bigger role in music today than it did about 10 years ago. And as I get to hear their heart, get to hear... You know their thoughts about music and, and making music, then everything becomes much clearer. And I go, ah, now I understand why he played on that album the way he did. Why? Because I don't just know the music, I know the drummer now. I don't just hear the beat, I hear the heartbeat behind the music because I've talked to the drummer. In the same way, you can quote everything Jesus said and still not know Him. Did you know that? You can quote words from this Bible, but still not know Jesus. And that's why I'm saying we need an encounter with Jesus. And you, maybe you've been in church like me your whole life. We need a fresh encounter with Jesus. Because maybe we've been, become stale. Maybe we just need uh, to know Him again, afresh and anew. Maybe we've just been reading the book and not even considering the author of the book. And so today I submit to you that selfless devotion 
flows from knowing Jesus personally. So my question is, do you know Him? Not just do you know His words, but do you know Him personally? Do you know Him to be healer? Do you know Him to be your source of joy? Do you know Him to be your provider? Do you know Him to be that light in the darkness when you can't see anything else? Do you know Him personally? Because that's how Jesus desires to reveal Himself. But it has to take a willingness for you and for me. Why? Because number four, selfless devotion results in action. Action. You see, Mary was so moved when Jesus showed up. Luke 10 and also John chapter 12, our text. That she has to respond. The first time she's just sitting at his feet, listening intently, taking in every word. Luke 10. In our text, John 12, now she's like, Jesus is coming, great. I'm going to go to the bank. I'm going to get my year's salary. I'm going to put it into this ointment. I'm going to buy it. It's expensive, I know. But I'm, I'm going to do this because I'm going to honor Jesus. I'm moved to action. Because I'm, I'm selflessly devoted. And then she pours it out. Doesn't care what Judas might have to say. What the other people in the room might have to say. I'm going to untie my hair. And I'm just going to wipe his feet now. After I anoint them. And now we come to Judas. I don't like Judas very much, to be honest. That's why I'm going to keep this part really short, because I'm going to say some things that I probably shouldn't. But Judas is ridiculing her. And he's looking at her and saying, What do you think you're doing, woman? But what I want to expose, and Scripture already does it for us, but draw attention to is his motive. You see, what he said wasn't actually a bad thing. He said, we could have sold it and given it to the poor. So what he actually said wasn't bad. But I'm glad God knows our heart and God looks at our motive. You can do all the right things. But if your heart is poisoned, it doesn't make any difference. It's bad. And so what happens is he's ridiculing her, but we know the motivation is what? Greed. He wants to skim some of that money off that they would have given to the poor and keep it for himself. That's why you might come with an offering or an envelope or money and say, can you put this in the offering? And I, I, has, and I say, I'm reluctant because... Well, firstly, I don't have itchy fingers, so I don't even want it to begin with. But I don't ever want to be caught with someone else's offering for the Lord. Why? Well, you should give it to Him. Go out of your way and give it. Do it. I mean, maybe going out of your way is giving it to me, but there's a better way. I don't want it. But Judas, he wanted it. Judas wanted it. And he, he was greedy. He was, you know, like sneaky about it. But I want you to know, Jesus is not fooled. Jesus is not taken for granted. Jesus isn't easily swayed either. He's not, oh, yeah, 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 that's a great idea. No, no, that didn't happen. Judas is saying, what waste. But Jesus is saying, what worship. Judas is saying, what an extravagant waste. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. This is extravagant worship. See the difference? So never worship God 
and concern yourself with people in the room. Never worship God and be concerned with people in the room. I remember giving some big offerings even when I was younger. And I still lived at home and my dad was like, that's a lot of money. And I said, I know. <laughs> I know. I feel a prompting to give it. And I know as a parent, he was probably wondering, you know, my finances and can you afford your car after that? And I get that. But I, I just wanted to worship God that way. And so let's just look at Jesus' response as we wrap this up in verse 7 of John 12. Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What I take from that is that there's an opportunity that we have. It, it may not come again. I'm not saying a specific opportunity. I'm just saying there may come an opportunity where you can do something extravagant for God. If you listen to the Judas in your ear, you may never put that gift. You may never give to the Lord. You may never serve the Lord if you listen to the Judas who's nearby. What I love is Jesus stands for truth and for justice. He said, I'm seeking, the, John chapter 4 says that the Father is seeking those worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Hey, it's going to cost something. For some of you, it might be worshiping God through your sickness, through your pain, and saying, God, I believe you're my healer. And you declare it over your life, in spite of the pain you feel in your body, in your knees, in your eye. But it's saying, God, I believe you're my healer. I believe it, God. And it makes no sense. The enemy is even confused. He's saying, I don't get it. Why are they worshiping still when I, you know, trying to get at them every single way? Well, because my heart is fixed on Him. And if worship is going to, if my best worship comes at a price, let it be a high price. That I will praise Him through the storm. I'll praise Him through any situation I face. Because He's worthy of it all. Amen? And in conclusion, see, we see Judas was selfish. He, didn't, he actually didn't even care about the poor. And so Jesus sees that and he responded to it. In conclusion, Jesus is worthy for you to devote all you are and all you have to him. I'm going to say it again. Jesus is worthy for you to devote all you are and all you have to him. Without reserve. Don't hold back from God. Why? He never holds back from us. He gave His one and only Son, John 3.16. He gave, He gave, He gave. God is love. And all we can do in response, I think it's a natural response, once we understand everything that He's done, is to throw all that we are back on the altar of God. Can you say amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back real quick. And as they do, I want to say this. If you concern yourself with man's opinion, you will become selfish. If you will concern yourself with man's opinion, you will become selfish. But if you pattern your life after Jesus' example, you will become selfless. Selfless devotion. My question as we close is, have you been wasting your life on yourself? Selfish living, not selfless living. Have you been wasting your life on yourself? It's time we waste it all on Jesus. 
Amen. I'm going to ask the team just to lead us in a song. Would you stand to your feet? And I believe this, that we're going to close this morning with worship. And if you take one thing home today, I pray that it's this. What man calls an extravagant waste, Jesus looks at it and he says it's extravagant worship. And so today I know we can close right now if we wanted to and just say amen and go. But I want us to enter in one more time as we sing. I want you as in response to the message, the word that has been spoken, that you give God your best worship even now. You're, you might be tired, your legs might hurt, your voice might be shot because you gave it your best before. Do it again. Would you do it again? Are you willing to waste your life on Jesus? Because in the end, it's actually not a waste. God looks at it as an offering of worship. Amen. So let's sing together. Let's, let's make this our best worship of the morning, church. Let's give Him our highest praise. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.